Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast The Start. My name is Graham Brown, joined by Dennis Poe from Aegis Partners, from Aegis Advisory. Dennis, how are you doing? Hey, Graham. Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, so thanks for inviting me to this podcast series. Oh, wow. I didn't really need to invite you. It's a conversation that we've had a number of times, but we need to do this, right? Because I mean, w- what The Start is about is about startups in Asia, Southeast Asia, who are really finding their feet. And I think there's so much advice that we can give these startups that they're not getting necessarily because, you know, it's not easy to go out and get tax or legal or accountancy advice from somebody who really understands startups. So our man to answer those questions, Dennis, you're going to help us out here because your background is legal, taxation, accountancy. How, how do you describe yourself? Do you describe yourself as an accountant or a tax advisor? What do you go by on a day-to-day basis? Well, I think what I do is that uh, basically I'm like the consultant that basically uh, I'm like, the, you can say something like a jack of all trade, or you can say a, a pro of all trade, actually. That's uh-huh. better. That's a better way to say Yeah. <laughs> so, and then from there, definitely uh, from time to time, I link people up to the, the, like the right experts to, for the very niche uh, areas and things like that. And, and um, so, I, I mean, we, of course, our, our day-to-day is that we do general comp, uh, corporate compliance from doing the accounting, the bookkeeping, the tax, and the corporate secretarial. So um, on top of that, that when, as and when there's the, the business has some legal issues and stuff, we figure it out and then uh, we, we do give advice and, and, uh, and link them to the lawyers and stuff like that to get kick-started. Right, okay. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. So there's, there's the whole sort of package, there's legal, taxation, accountancy. You, what did you train as yourself? Were you an accountant by trade? What was your education? Actually, my education is accountant in, by education. And then, uh, but my work experience has always been in the law firm. Right, for, okay. I think four years to five years, yeah. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. I think that mm. the important part about the start and why we need to have this conversation is because a lot of the issues that founders face, you have to kind of have experienced them yourself. I mean, a good example, we're talking about it off air, an issue that I had with a founder in a previous business is that, you know, a lot of these issues you can kind of relate to as a legal advisor, a tax advisor, an accountant, because you've been through that yourself. You sort of, you know, experienced the the startup world yourself. You've had sort of firsthand experience in startups, haven't you? You've worked in sort of non-law firm type situations, haven't you? Yes. So I I was actually uh, I mean from for most of my career life I was always with uh, been with a law firm and then from there uh, there was this a uh, tech startup that approached me so I went with them and became their f- um, first few employees so you know having to to join them from there then I do experience things like uh, like the you know things about uh, asking for employee stock option and things like that and also even thinking about like products and things like that. That was my main scope. So I was with them for half a year, but I think in startup world, half a year means yeah. like almost six years out in the corporate world. Yeah, that's a long time. <laughs> yes. 
So I do experience a lot from there. I see a lot of, um, um, I would say, disputes and things like that. Even, even the because uh, uh, previously in the tech startup, we were, I was with uh, Accelerator. So then from there, I get to make friends with the fellow other startups, and they do mm. know that you know uh, I have experience in doing like the the papers and stuff like that for fundraising. So they do approach me and say, oh, you know, uh, sometimes. They, they come to me and say, I have like a, a founder dispute and then how do I resolve it on the papers and stuff like that. And I figure it for them. And also like things like, oh, um, I need to start to do fundraising, but what is the necessary things I need to even do? And they don't even know where to start. Right. So I think that is, um, that's where actually Aegis was found um, after I left the tech startup. Right. I mean, this is interesting because there are a lot of firms out there that offer legal taxation accountancy advice. I mean, you've worked for Roger and Tang. You've you've experienced the big law firm environment. You yes. know you know what it's like to be inside that firm. Obviously, they're great at what they do. And often mm-hmm. what they do is they're great at servicing large corporates because, you know, they're obviously the best clients for them and they have the biggest needs. But what is it that they, where's their blind spots when they're dealing with startups? Why does a startup need someone like you? What is it that, you know, someone like Aegis offers that these big law firms don't offer? What, what's missing? I think the first, very first thing, of, uh, which is very obvious, is of course the fee. And that's, right. that's always the, the, I guess, the biggest problem for a startup. When, when, when a startup is started, right, uh, first thing, they, they, even before they get started, they, they will have to actually seek like, for advice and, you know, how do you actually... Uh, sort of like uh, formalize this arrangement and things like that and then approaching uh, bigger firms uh, can only get you like a certain aspect of the advice so I think um, what we are different here for ages is that from the start we we discuss with our client from day one okay, um, that the different aspects of running the business like um, we tackle like the corporate secretarial bookkeeping accounting and then on the tax even on the tax issue before we get the business started and this is something that I guess um, you definitely have to actually pay a big firm a certain consulting fee even before you get started. And uh, that makes us different. Right, right. I'm, I'm wondering mm-hmm. as well, because uh, startups don't have cash, right? I mean, how, yes. how do, I mean, it's tempting, isn't it, to start a business and then not, <laughs> not get advice and just, okay, we'll do this when we start making money. Do you see that a lot? How, how do you advise people in that situation? On this, right... What we, we usually handle uh, is that most of the startups we handle uh, uh, initially don't have much funds and we, we do talk to them and then, uh, it, you know, like um, sort of like uh, figure what's the issue. If it's, if it's funds, then we also like, give tips to the startups and say, you know, you might want to look into doing uh, angel investment and uh, I mean seeking for angel investment and stuff. They will, and they will come up with questions and they ask, uh, what, oh, what's angel investment and things? Who's mm. angel investors? And that is really things that we, we see day to day that we talk to people. If they are really passionate about what they want to do and they want to push forward, right? They come back to us and then, you know, at the end of the day, if you do business, you have to incur costs. Mm. And the thing is, um, that's where, this is where, uh, for what we've seen, our clients, right, they, they, they go over that and then um, it's not a big fee, of course, compared to a big firm and they get started from there. Yeah, I'm just wondering what that starting point is because this is a really important conversation. We were talking about it off mm-hmm. air. I mean, let, let's take my example. I mean, 
I was involved in a business before. Um, in mm. that business, I had a partner. We grew that business. We had a, a successful working relationship. And it was a business that wasn't incorporated. Uh, mm. But, you know, it, it had a public presence. Uh, we got on really well. Really good working relationship. Grew the business. It didn't make any revenues up to a point. Um, but then, you know, we fell out. Um, and it, you may argue that in, in that situation that that's okay because, you know, there was no money in the business. Therefore, mm. you, you don't need to go to someone like you and get advice beforehand, right? I mean, is that a dangerous situation to be? I mean, you see people making this mistake saying, we'll start a business informally. We'll just kind of have a bit of fun, grow the thing. And when it gets serious, when there's money on the table, then we think about incorporating the business. Well, even if you're in this so-called informal stage, right, I would still suggest to get the company incorporated, hmm. uh, even if it is, does get uh, a little bit cumbersome after after that, you know, like there's this founder's issue and stuff. I mean, it's something that we really can't anticipate it from time to time. The best we can do is only to prevent such things to happen by having uh, certain like uh, arrangement agreements are in place, but other than that, really, there's there's no uh, there's no control over uh, this sort of issues happening. If mm. it happens, you, I mean, we have to face it and then just have to resolve it from there. So I would still say, even if you're in a sort of like a, a, a informal arrangement, uh, of course, at least get the basic um, basic sort of like uh, things or basic clause or key things to be taken care of, like, you know, like the sh uh, profit sharing and things like that. Um, so then from there, you can actually, you know, get started because without a company, at the end of the day, you also can't really run a business. Yeah. Um, people want to go to a company and then, you know, uh, even investors will definitely need to see a company to before they can actually do the necessary like investment or even payment for your service and stuff like that. Can I, I mean... Just, I don't want to talk too much about the informal stage, but it's just sort of leading up to where we're going with this is that, mm -hmm. you know, if you had an informal relationship, all businesses start informally, right? I mean, it could yes. be two people meeting at a demo day. It could be two people meeting at a startup weekend. Yeah, let's form a company together. Yes. Do you, is it before you form the company, before you incorporate the company, does it make sense to write something down on paper like a memorandum? Does that hold any kind of legal wait, does that, you know, like, you know, Dennis and Graham are going to form a company mm. and we're going to do this and this is why we're forming the company and blah, 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 that kind of thing on a piece of paper. Does that make sense? Does it, does that hold, you know, does that protect those two founders in any way? It definitely helps to have like, uh, so what we call this is like a founder's agreement. Is that it, It's definitely useful to have such founder's agreement in place so that in any case it leads up to this uh, formal, you know, uh, incorporation and stuff. But the very least, I mean, uh, terms in the, the, the uh, founder's agreement, uh, I mean, the founders can still, you know, uh, adjust it after hmm. when, I mean, when the company is going to be incorporated. So the thing is most importantly is to at least keep this matter confidential. Uh, nowadays, we're all talking about, the, you know, non-disclosure and stuff like this. So the very least is to, to prevent like non-disclosure, I mean, to, to prevent any leak of the, the content on this, uh, like the projects we're going to work on and also, the more more important thing is that competition. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's very it makes sense to have such agreement. You you should have uh, you, uh before the company is incorporated. So the, at least everyone looks at like the founders can all look at the same same um like arrangement mm. and then move on from there first. If not, I mean it's just 
one day, if say without the such um, agreement or like documents, right? The founders can any of the founders can just say like, oh, I, I don't, uh, you know, I don't think we ever talk about it. And, you know, just going back against uh, their own words and stuff. Like, mm. This happens. I, I, I mean, yeah. I, I do seen that before. So then, and, and even before the company started, you know, it just ended there <laughs> before yeah. the start. Yeah. So that that was actually quite. Uh, I mean, I've seen such cases before, and I think it's quite uh, interesting side. I mean, it's useful to have it, uh, but I mean. Of course, it depends also like if the founders are really like wanting to get started and stuff and immediately go for the incorporation from even like if after, like say next day after the like a uh, meeting up and stuff. I think at least have some uh, having a company, right? Uh, it's also like a healthier uh, approach yeah. to, to get started. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. founders agree, but it's fascinating. I realize, I mean, I have another business which... Mm-hmm. Um, it's currently in the informal stage, not related to anything I'm doing here, but it's, um, again, that's a, it's an informal arrangement, which doesn't have a founder's agreement. It's stupid. I mean, both of us, both myself and my, my partner in that, that business have a long history of entrepreneurship. You know, we've both had very successful businesses. We both, you know, experienced success and failure, but we don't have mm-hmm. an informal arrangement with each other. And, a founder's agreement and I think we've kind of always thought well we kind of trust each other it's going to work out fine but it's just ironic that with all our experience of all the people we don't have a founder's agreement between us but I think you know that should really be a starting point yes yeah so I'm sorry we're starting the start and I'm not actually getting my own <laughs> ship in order so there you go well that's great advice I from guess me. <laughs> I, I, I think we, we all learn from somewhere uh, it, it, we, it's not just on the like you know learning from like say a, a certain practice or books so we, we learn from our own uh, pitfalls and stuff yeah, I guess exactly even for me it's an everyday learning uh, journey down the road for me like seeing other people's problem and then knowing that, oh, okay, this might come handy one day for the, like, um, you know, advising people and stuff like that. We, we see very different things all every, like, almost every day. Yeah. I, I was interested yeah. to learn about yourself and your experience. You you are, are you currently is CFO of a menswear brand? Ah, yes. <laughs> That's a very good point to raise about that. I, I was fascinated by that. Go, tell us a little bit more about that. Well, um, so the thing is that this menswear business is actually i'm going for this like an old old business model mm. uh, it's called um off online to offline so bring e-commerce business back to retail uh there's like this certain there's certain trade trade that works very well for old old business so basically um that's what we are trying to do for this um uh business it's called area and packers so if anytime anyone feels like coming to um, tailor a suit or a shirt, you can always find me. Right, excellent. Good. It's that's in Singapore, right? Yes. So, I mean, I would say the com- this company is sort of like, a, uh, you know, where all, all of the things I learned about startup, I apply on this tailor mm. business. So, yeah, I yeah. do get to sort of get into the, uh, get to, I, I call it mud, yeah. <laughs> get into the mud and then play with it and then, you know, uh, figure how this this thing or whatever I've been learning applies and stuff. That's why I'm, I'm acting as the CFO for this company. Yeah, I mean, why menswear? What, what attracted you to that? Well, I think one thing is that uh, I always wanted to have my own sort of clothing brand hmm. so that I don't really have to go outside and buy anymore. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and that, that is definitely one. But the other part is that uh, 
the O2O business model is quite a new concept yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, recently. And I thought that this is best fitted for menwear uh, business because the thing is, well, mostly guys, we don't really want to go shop for for clothing and stuff uh, out there, right? So uh, trying to merge these two together is, is something that at least uh, I have interest in. So, yeah. Mm. And how many people in that team? Three founders. Mm. And then we have one investor backing us up. He also, I mean, all of us, including investors, are very uh, much into menswear and stuff. We like to look good. Right. <laughs> so I think that's uh, the, the, the fun part, yeah. Uh, but the interesting thing about my team is that we come from different backgrounds. Uh, I have, one of the co-founders is, uh, uh, does marketing and he was previously from Zalora. So that was uh, right. quite a very interesting uh, background we have here. And then uh, the other founder is actually, he's a tailor himself and, and he also had experience in like uh, brands like Prada and such. Mm-hmm. So I would say we were trying to bring a different to the uh, industry and, uh, and, and that is something that uh, is useful to have a dynamic team. Right, and how did you guys meet? Oh, actually, I'm like the, I know one of the co-founders since uh, young, like yeah. from, I think I know him since seven years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we we know each other for quite some time already. Yeah. Uh, and then he came to me and talked about like, you know, uh, he feels like doing a tailor business. And I say that, well, do you want to try something with like uh, having like different business model or uh, tech and stuff involved in that? And that's where I started to get mm. the other co-founder to all talk about this and we got started from there. There's no hold back. We just have to push and, you know, move. Right. It's interesting. You talk about your, I mean, your friend from seven years old approaching you about a yes. business. And I mean, obviously you trust this guy inside out, you know him since he was a kid, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I find it fascinating because I, my, my first ever business, Dennis, I started in my twenties and, uh, I started it with my best friend. This was in the, the dot-com internet days. Wow. And mm-hmm. I think that was the biggest mistake that I made. He probably says the same because we were good friends. I think we were quite naive. We didn't learn a lot about business at the time. I, and I sort of came away from that, Dennis, thinking uh, you should never start a business with a friend. M- maybe that was just a bad experience that I have. But do, have, do you have an opinion on that? Because you obviously you've, you've started with a very good friend. Yeah. I always think that's a bit like friends and family. Mm. I always like to keep outside of business. What's your opinion on that? Um, I agree to that also, to be honest. But you really have to have that discipline to be clear about the scope and stuff like that. I mean, he obviously had that uh, the, the talent and the skills for this business. And I can't just let go of that. Right. So I, I also agree with you that you can't really exactly work with like, a, you can't exactly work, start a business or work with a friend or a family and stuff. Like it, 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 because sometimes you, you know you know each other too well and then this mm-hmm. could just happen. It really bound to have that. But it's just more of um, how do you handle this? How do you set it in the sense that you have to set that line? That's, that's what I did with my co-founder. Right. I, I know him outside, uh, inside out. But the thing is, uh, definitely we had a, a few arguments. But at the end of the day, if the intention uh, from uh, each of us comes out to, to run this business, right? Mm-hmm. I don't see why you have to go away from, from working together because of like a, this sort of like a stigma, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, if you get it right, if you, if you, I think you have to do the extra work, don't you, to get it written down mm-hmm. because it's easy to assume many things that, you know, if, if they're a friend or their family, you trust them. 
therefore you, you don't worry or don't push too much. Or may, maybe it feels a bit strange, like talking like in real business terms with a friend or family as well. And I think that that's where it causes problems. If you are going into business with friends and families, you have to make sure you're extra careful on the legal and the, the formation side, right? Because you want to kind of take that out of the relationship such that you can focus on just building a business together, right? Yes, I agree. Because like for, for my own approach, we definitely had set out like the um, obligations, like the roles, the duties and stuff uh, all out in the paper. We have no, um, we have no choice about that. Like, I mean, if you don't, I mean, I, I have like really actually uh, heated like uh, argument with him before, we, right. especially with this co-founder because I know him really well from the beginning. But all I can do is that, you know, you have to set, at the end of the day is setting that line. And that's, uh, I think that's very important if you want to work with a friend or a family member and stuff like that. Mm. But don't give it a miss. I really think it's, it's like a, I would say, uh, you might miss out that this potential, uh, something like a potential um, winning chance or like yeah. this uh, jackpot chance that you really might miss it. I, I, and I think it's a, it's, it's a pity if you just because of a certain like a, a stigma or this certain um Bad lack experience, of yeah. yeah, yeah, or or lack of knowledge on on a certain area and things like that. You, you definitely can, you should. I mean, from there, seek someone that you can talk to or someone with similar experience and say, "Oh, how do you did did that? You know, how mm. do you actually work with a friend and then still not, you know, um, sort of like run this business for for such a long time and things like that." Yeah. Okay, that's very good advice. Yeah. I mean, I, I just had one bad experience, and I guess I haven't really sort of gone back and revisited. But you know, it's like. You know, if, if the first girl I ever dated was, you know, terrible, then I, I wouldn't give up dating. I would, you know, it's just like you got to, I think in a way it's similar, isn't it? Like business, it's a relationship, it's a marriage in a way, you know, yes. you, you got to, you can't just give up after the first one if it's a bad one, right? You can't just sort yes. of say, okay, that's the end of it. No more dating, no more business. <laughs> I, so, I think we all went through that. <laughs> We've all been through it. We have the scars. We have the scars. But I think, you know, that, that's, what, that's why I'm interested, you know, and that's why we had this conversation about the start and I thought it would make perfect sense to have this conversation with you and me is that, you know, you have the scars and that I think is what qualifies you to advise people on legal tax accountancy issues, right? Because, yes. you know, when I've, I've been growing businesses for 20 odd years and I've always found that, you know, if I work with an accountant, as an example, there, there are two different types of accountants. There's accountants that, you know, just just input output, put it in the box. They put it in the out box, right? Which is fine. But there's also accountants who can look at the bigger picture and say, okay, I can see what you're trying to do here. How about this? And they'll make suggestions. They'll be proactive and help you out because they understand that I, I suppose they've been in your shoes and that's quite rare, isn't it? And you don't necessarily have to go to a big accountancy firm for that and work with a partner, you know, with like 40 odd years experience. You know, you can find people like yourself who, who've got the scars. Yes. And I think the, the thing is not just about the, uh, on top of th on, on this, right, is that sometimes we all, I, I, get, I mean, all firms, generally all firms have the technical knowledge for it. I, I, at the end of the day, it's just how we apply it. Sometimes if you anger a certain different perspective for uh, the advice, right, things really turns out very different. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah it, I, I've, seen, exactly. I've seen a few like that. And 
And um, of course, uh, talking about big firm, the other point was to is is also to look into like uh, like I would say like those um, uh, low fee firms yeah. that basically you know it's really like you you whatever you put in you get what what you 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 pay for is you see because mm. at the end of the day you're all talking about uh, um, uh, man man hour you know and I think this is is so fair for them you know basically you are going to someone uh, that just have to get your company incorporated then they will do that and then you pay that certain fee. But on top of that, if you want uh, further advice and they can't provide you, I mean, that, that is also fair to look at it at that point also. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's this. Uh, so it became sort of like I'm seeking for like an in-between. Um, between like, of course, the big firms and also the, the I say like the mass company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, it, I, I remember when I started out, my first biz- first proper business where we needed an accountant, I think that um, and this is twenty odd years ago. I mean, this is this is a different market entirely. You know, people weren't outsourcing to you know Asia at the time. And this was in yes. London. And I remember I, I met the partner, and the partner was obviously you know he he spent most of his days playing golf. I think, but you know he was very successful. Um, he said, <laughs> okay, you know, he gave me the sales pitch, which was you know. Oh yeah, we'll work with you. We'll help you grow your business. You know, if you need finance, we'll help you with finance. Uh, you know, if you need advice, we'll, we'll give you all of that. We'll we'll, we'll be like you know your your sort of advisory board. And it was interesting because as soon as we started that relationship with that business firm, you know, because we were a small company, you know, all they yes. ever did for us was payroll, payroll and <laughs> accounts, right? And, and that see. was it. And it was like. You know, all, all what we were promised never mm. happened because I think you know they're just too busy and they're too you know we're too small a company to yes. be any kind of importance to such a firm like that, and it's a real shame, right? Because everything that we yes. needed, we wanted, we didn't get. I see. I mean, the thing is, uh, um, from what I see, right? Um, I think time has changed. Time has changed, right? And and from there. How I say that you, you, you on top of just what you need to get the compliance done, right? You you need like business um consulting and I, I call it business mm. consulting. I can't think of other uh better words to describe this. Right. Okay. Well, what do yeah. you say? I mean, just because obviously the start this podcast, this is an introduction today. We want to deal with the issues that startup founders yes. face, and and really mm-hmm. give them the the nuts and bolts advice, which. You, you give out on a, on a daily basis and you're having these conversations all the time. So, and the, yes. I guess the trouble is, is that that conversation is only heard by a couple of people. We want to sort of share your general conversations with the world so people can get more advice. What, yes. what are the sort of the common issues that startup founders face when they come to you? What are the sort of the things that they come to you about beyond sort of, okay, I need my compliance done. Are there any sort of specific mm. repetitive issues that people have? I would say the very first question they always come to is that um, they will ask um, like how do they determine who to get the, the how much equities. Right. I think that's a very common question <laughs> that I almost hear almost like uh, on a daily basis. I, I would say of course um, there's no really fixed or, or sure way to say that you know oh today I deserve like a 30% uh, equity of the company uh, for this and that is more of you having to 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 set it, you know sit down with your founders and say 
you know, I, I foresee the company to be evaluated at a certain figure. And then from there, working backwards, right, that, you know, um, this is my score of work, and I, I, I definitely would ask for this percentage mm-hmm. and things like that. So, I mean, this is really no sure way because the company, no, nobody knows uh, exactly what it will turn out to be. But you can only, uh, I say, sort of like plan and also set down that, on that percentage and then, you know, we move with it. If there's any, uh, I mean, if there's any needs to, to change it or to update it, I mean, the founders can always, you know, negotiate and then do what is right. Because at the end of the day, the, if, if the founders' interest to run this business aligns mm. right, it really doesn't matter on exactly like the very specific percentage and things like that. I think that is a very important issue to address from day one. Right. Even without a company? I mean, is that sort of, do they have to agree that before they incorporate the company? Yeah, they, they definitely need to agree uh, on this point before they start, start the company because the thing is, sometimes when, uh, so when, when you have the company, you, you incorporate the company, right? You sort of set this in stone and although it can be just, you know, it can be adjusted accordingly, but the thing is, uh, when it's on the paper and stuff, you, you definitely want things to be sorted out uh, right. properly first. Yeah. And, and, and if, of course, if, if the founders all agree to that, that percentage, right, and there's no amendment to it, then, you know, you, you continue to run the business and stuff like that. But really, there's, there's a point of time, maybe the founders feel, or, or, or some of the founders will feel uh, like unjust mm. and they, they want something to be done. It should all be uh, open up and then uh, talk among the founders and, and you know, uh, resolve this. Right. Is there sort of a, you know, established protocol process for all of those uh, disputes? You know, if somebody says, okay, I'm leaving mm-hmm. after six months, then there's an established formula to work through or is everything case by case when trying to work out equity shares? Well, I mean, the thing is such protocols, right, will usually be set in the um, shareholders agreement. Right. So, I mean, it's best to have a shareholders agreement in place also. Um, it's nowadays, the, the, the template, shareholders agreement template out there is... It's actually done in very simple um, and clear uh, language that you can actually even understand from there. Yeah, I mean, you, this is what I think that even for the legal industry, um, this is one of the anchors that, that the, the legal industry is, uh, is moving forward to. You know? right, so right. I think um, definitely if you, I mean, if the startups have such agreement and they need to set things into the agreement, um, read further into it and you understand your application from there. So mm. all those protocols can be found in the shareholders agreement. And then um, from there, you know, that you can, once you get it done, if any dispute happens, you fall back to the shareholders agreement. There's no um, like, uh, sort of like, oh, maybe this way or maybe that way to get things resolved. That is only one way and that's all fall back into the shareholders agreement. Right, yeah. I, would you advise a, a founder to go online and download one of those standard templates of shareholders agreements? Like, I mean, you can go to one of the various venture capital associations, they publish these things online, right? I mean, is that a good starting point? It's definitely a good starting point from there. um, Read more about what shareholders agreement is, and then uh, at least you know you, you know, like that, what was the usually such website they will have like, um, sort of like a primers to, mm, to yeah. teach you to see, okay, this is the main clauses that you should take note of. Uh, I would say, example, things like uh, vesting, vesting, uh, arrangement for the founder's shares and things like that. Uh, that is a that is a good start to kick off from, 
in, in, I mean, you, uh, definitely that can help to save on yeah. on engaging a lawyer. You don't exactly. I mean, of course, if you have the the funds to kickstart with a lawyer drafting that for you, all the all the better that you can start that off nicely. Mm. But I mean, the other alternative is, you know, you kickstart with this. At least have such agreement uh, arrangement in place so that. Uh, you know, this this is uh, sort of scenarios that uh, you can't anticipate to happen, and it does happen from uh, from time to time. You just um, you have a protection there, right? If I was to take a, a vesting agreement from you know a, a company in Silicon Valley, would yes. that would that work in Singapore as an example? Are the vesting agreements more or less the same? I would say more or less the clauses are not very different because all this is more of like a corporate sort of agreement and stuff like that. The clauses are not much different, but there's a, we we call it boilerplates. There's certain boilerplates that's different for the different jurisdiction. I definitely suggest you don't go to um, um, like the the pages that is more uh, inclined towards a certain jurisdiction that you're not using or you're not uh, uh, sort of like uh, your company is not uh, in. So the mm. thing is, say for example, if you are setting up a Singapore company, right? I would suggest that you look for um, like the templates that is in such jurisdiction. Right, right. Okay, that makes complete sense. And, and just talking, I mean, obviously we're, we're on the issue of founder equity shares and vesting agreements and so on. I mean, often these are areas where people get it wrong because they don't even think about it at the beginning. I mean, the obvious is just 50-50 and they say, okay, you you have half, I have half. (laughs) And if something happens, we'll work it out. What what are the common mistakes that founders make when it comes to equity agreements? Do you see any sort of repetitive patterns in terms of the mistakes they make? Yes. I I would think first thing is the um, percentage itself. (laughs) So the thing is, uh, as I say again, Percentage, if you set it like, I mean, percentage of the equity itself, if it's not set set right from the beginning, I mean, I I would, I would say the founders would would be able to deal with it, um, uh, you know, in a in a good way, and then you know, resolve it by doing a certain adjustment. So this is quite straightforward, but uh, but this is also the one of the most common uh, changes I've seen. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean. It- the obvious is is fifty fifty in a vesting agreement, isn't it? That that's sort of what people would gravitate towards. But it doesn't always have to be. I mean, the, the many sort of setups where, you know, one of the one of the founders is still in employment elsewhere, one is working part time, uh, yes. <laughs> all these kind of aspects, which mean you have a sort of a difference setup, right? Which needs to be considered. But I guess that there's a there's a template out there for something just like that, right? That it mm. you know not every case is unique. Mm, I agree. I mean, like, it's, I would say um, you have sort of like, I say, general templates, but other, on top of the general templates, right, all these specific clauses, you have to, you know, negotiate, you have to uh, sit together and confirm on, the, on, on what you want or how you think is fair or even on how the investors think, or, I mean, prospective investors will think that it's fair for, uh, to proceed with this um, arrangement. Mm. Yeah, sometimes it's not just between the founders. It's also that if you look at it, there's a reason why the templates are like the, how I say, it's a general template uh, adopted from certain practice. 
uh, example like from Silicon Valley, it's always the, like a four years vesting, three to four years vesting. I think it's, it's very uh, um, fair uh, to have such like clauses done that way because investors would, you have to think in the investors in, uh, perspective too where they will look at it and say, ah, oh, three, four years. Okay, at least if anything happened, right. I know that you know this founder won't take the shares and then just leave and benefit from it, you know, like he worked for it. So it's like the idea of like, the, yeah. the founders working for the shares that they deserve, yeah. Excellent. Oh, this has been great advice, Dennis. Uh, listen, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to open the start up to people's questions as well. Yes. And, um, you know, this is an opportunity to Q&A with some of the brightest minds in the startup space in Asia. Yes. Um, people like Dennis, I mean, obviously you don't get, Really, you don't get a lot of um, opportunity to speak to people like Dennis who have that sort of legal taxation accountancy background, but also, as we discussed, have the scars, you know, have also the, the coal face or, or the mud, as you say, uh, experience, which is, you know, people who work in startups and can understand rather than just sort of reading it from the book. That's the, the technical knowledge that you talk about, right? But able to apply that is a different matter, isn't it? So we want yes. people to, to come with their questions. If you're a startup in Asia, or even if you're a startup looking to get into Asia, right, you're going to have questions about, you know, setting up the business, vesting agreements, founder agreements, and so on. What other kind of questions can you feel, Dennis? What kind of questions do you feel confident enough to ask, you know, to, to be able to deal with from the, from the listeners? All startups have their own unique um, proposals, projects, even the, the way they want to run the business together, it's all different. So um, the very first thing I think the question should be uh, to be asked, right, is that how do you get started? Like what, what is the jurisdiction I should look into right. and stuff like that? Yeah. Because the thing is, at the end of the day, if say your your business is being done in a certain uh, jurisdiction, you don't want to go to another jurisdiction and set up a company, and then you know the the, the um uh, people find it hard to pay you, investors find it hard to invest in you, and things like that. Right, right. Okay, that's a really interesting question. I mean, I've I've had and I've faced this issue myself many times, and I'm sure I'm <laughs> sure everybody you know, even if you're based yeah. in Singapore. It's a question you need to ask, you know, is Singapore the best jurisdiction for you? Because it's case by case, isn't it? Maybe you're in a business where you need to be elsewhere, registered elsewhere, right? You, you don't have to be registered where you live or where your base of operations is, right? I mean, that's the key, isn't it? That we live in a world where yes. that's now possible. But there's a lot of issues that go with that, right? So the thing is, uh, um, well, I, I think that um, basically the questions I have also often is, although I do incorporation for a Singapore company, right? I do have people asking like, uh, you know, should I, should I incorporate it in, in, say, in US? Or should I incorporate it in Hong Kong? Yeah. Or in UK and stuff like that? I do have that sort of questions coming into. And I think that's, that's, uh, that's very good questions to ask also because uh, it, the, the thing about the jurisdiction of the company you're going to set up, right, is determined usually by where your, I mean, what your business is surrounded at, you know, uh, being uh, one of the things like the investors or, or the people that's paying you. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It, it's really important as well. And I, I think you're sort of teeing up a future episode as well for this is that if you were to go online and, and start searching this stuff, You'll be you're presented by lots of websites which look ah oh, this looks amazing the Seychelles yeah I want to have a company in the Seychelles right I mean it looks amazing but 
they're essentially just selling you products, aren't they? And they're not necessarily worried about what the implications of those products are or whether or not that's the right fit for you. So, you know, that's the danger of getting into this space with the wrong advice, isn't it? Is that, you know, if you just go there and say, oh, for $500, I can set up a company in the Seychelles, right? And that's fine. That might yes. be the wrong thing to do, even though the website mm. says Seychelles, brilliant, no tax, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? But it, it's, you've got to get this right. So I think that's yes. well worth spending a bit of time answering a few questions about that, right? Yes. I think, um, the, the, I mean, the advice would be saying that more of like a, you you need to know what you're gonna get into and not just blindly jump into it. You know, yeah. that's what I usually say when I when I do meet founders. Um, you know, um, asking uh, certain question that um, sometimes founders they don't really know what they're asking. Also, I think it's very fair. Uh, this area of education is not being really paid attention to because of the 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 um, of course the stigma about startups campaign, mm. uh, the fees and stuff like that. Not, not, I mean, not being able to pay uh, good fees and stuff. I would disagree. It's a long-term thing. So uh, so it really depends from uh, people's perspective on this. But you, um, first, very first thing is, whatever we do, you need to know what you're going to get into before you just jump into it and then, you know, you go that, ah, oh, I regret on picking this jurisdiction and stuff like that. There's a lot of, um, I mean, it's, I would say another advice is that it's easy to start a company, but it's not easy to close one. Right. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That is good advice. Actually, I haven't heard that one before, but that is so true. I mean, there's so many stories we can talk about that, you know, <laughs> things we've done wrong, you know, we've learned from the hard way, right? Hey, Dennis, fantastic. Thank you so much for being so flexible and getting the start started. Thank and, you, you know, yeah. you know, let, let's keep this momentum going. And if people are, I mean, if you're listening and you have questions for Dennis, you know, questions about the, the issues that we talked about today, if you're a startup, um, you know, tweet us at Asia Tech Pod and do hashtag, hashtag the start or ask Dennis, hashtag ask Dennis. Um, tweet us your questions. You could email me at the, if you're on the newsletter, usual channels, um, or if you're on LinkedIn, then please feel free to send me a message or comment on any of the stuff that we post there with questions. For the next time, if you want to learn about, you know, advice, legal tax and accountancy advice for startups, you know, you can do this in private, obviously, but we will share it. But obviously, you know, we'll, we'll make it confidential. Um, but, yes. you know, we'll remove the names to protect the innocent. But if you want to, you know, like everybody, if you've just got basic questions you want to ask, feel free, because, you know, I'm sure Dennis will be happy to help you out and save you from diving in at the deep end, as he says, and getting, you know, all kinds of trouble. I will uh, look forward to seeing you and talking to you next time, Dennis. Thanks so much for yes. getting the start started. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Graham. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.